We're in 1 Samuel chapter 18 on page 241 in the Blue Bible in front of you. You follow along as we read just one passage about David and Saul. There's many different stories that we could tell you over the next five or so chapters, but just want to focus on this one this morning to, to illustrate what was going on between the first king of Israel and then the future king of Israel. Beginning in verse 1 of chapter 18 of 1 Samuel, we read, As soon as David had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan, Saul's son, was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved David as his own soul. And Saul took David that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and he gave it to David and his armor, even his sword and his bow and his belt. David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the giant, the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated. And they sang, Saul has struck down his thousands, but David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry at this saying. It displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. The next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre, as he did day by day. Saul had his spear in his hand, and Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. So Saul removed David from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. And David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and came in before them. This is the word of the Lord for us today. Blessed are those who hear it and obey it. Today we see unhealthy relationships all around us. Some people struggle with healthy relationships because they've never known healthy relationships in their life. Some people grow up being abused. And so in those formative years with the relationship between their parents and them as a child, they, they struggle because of abuse, because of neglect, and they're never able to form healthy relationships. Some people struggle with healthy relationships because of emotional problems. Sometimes there are even mental problems that affect relationships. Some relationships struggle with an unhealthy nature because of sin. 
We don't like to talk about that. We don't talk about sin so much. But when people give themselves to sin more and more, it affects their relationships. Some people have unhealthy relationships because the people in the relationship are so self-centered, they don't know how to give somebody else a turn because it's always about them. We can't look this morning at all the various forms of unhealthy relationships. We just want to focus on this unhealthy relationship between Saul and David. It's a conflicted relationship. Lots of conflict between these two men. And we're going to look at this relationship and see what we can learn about dealing with some of the unhealthy relationships in our lives. Let's look at some of the events in the lives of these two men as they related to one another that illustrates the kind of relationship they had. See if you can say, you know what, I've got some relationships like that in my life. Number one, the relationship starts off well. As we saw last week, David went and killed Goliath. That's a good thing. Saul's kingdom was in jeopardy because the Philistines said, listen, if we beat you, you got to serve us. And if the Philistines had won, they would have made Israel become their servants. Saul would have lost his kingdom. So David did something good. David is a difference maker, remember? For 40 days, the people stood frozen in fear. And David comes on the scene and he said, I'll take him on. With God, I can kill him. I can, I can take care of this problem. And he does. Well, if you're the king and your kingdom has been saved by that guy, you think he's a great guy. So the relationship starts off well. And then we're told in chapter 16 that David, because he played the harp, would come and play his harp for Saul. And Saul had some issues himself. Some say he struggled with depression, maybe bipolar, because he seemed like he was fluctuating a lot. And when this spirit from God would, would overwhelm him, David would play his harp, and it would calm Saul down. So again, you see, David's a great guy. Saul loved him at this point. When you're killing giants for the king, when you're playing your harp for the king, the king's going to love you. But then the relationship takes a different turn. Jealousy starts to creep in because as David goes out and fights for, for the Israelites, he starts having success militarily. And people start seeing that. And so the women start singing and they sing to Saul and they say, oh, he killed his thousands, but David killed his ten thousands. The king doesn't like that. How come he's getting more praise than I am? Well, maybe because David's going out and fighting and you're not, right? But Saul starts getting jealous. And the text says that he kept his eye on David. You got anybody keeping their eye on you this morning? Have you ever noticed that nobody ever keeps their eye on you because they're looking for good? Whenever somebody puts their eye on us and they're watching us, they're always watching for something bad. Always looking to catch us doing something wrong. 
You know when somebody's eyeing you in a negative way that there's trouble in the relationship. It's unhealthy. Because you know what? We don't have to look at each other very long before we find something negative. If you're looking, right? My dad always says, if you go stomping around the barnyard long enough, eventually you'll step in it. Okay? And that's what happens. You get people who have an eye and they're watching you because we're, we're sinful, because we're, 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 we're fallen. We will sin. And so Saul has got his eye on David. He's looking for a problem. The key, though, is in verse 12. For us to understand what's going on here, the, the key is that the Spirit of God has left David, or excuse me, left Saul and landed on David. It had departed from Saul. And Saul, I think, he recognized that something was different. And the success that he had in the early part of his kingdom, he's not experiencing now. And David is experiencing that success. And that just fuels this jealousy. This is the third time in this book that so far that we're told that God is with David. David was the future and Saul knew that he was the past. And part of this jealousy was due to the way this transition from the old king to the new king was taking place. The normal process for a new king was very simple. When did you get a new king? When the sitting king died. When he died of natural causes or when he was killed in battle, either way, then it became time for a new king. A new king would be crowned and usually it was the son of the sitting king. But that's not what happens here. Another way that, that a king would, would assume the throne was in that transition period after the king dies, maybe if he was a weak king, somebody else would rush in there and appoint himself king. And if he could get the army behind him, you can get the generals on your side, he would become king. But the transition from Saul to David was different. Israel had never had a king before. So they never lived out this transition period from a king to the next king before. They didn't have a, an established history of a smooth transition. And you see in the passage where Saul's son Jonathan actually gives his robe, gives his armor to David, it's as if he's saying, you know what, buddy, it's going to be yours someday. Jonathan himself knew that he was not the future, even though he was the king's son. God had determined that the kingdom was going to be ripped from Saul's family and given to David and his family. It would be an awkward transition any way you looked at it. Israel now has two kings. Israel has the sitting king, and Israel has the future king that's just waiting for the time to take over. It would be awkward as if you were hired for a job. Can you imagine walking in? You've been hired for a job. You're all excited. And they say, listen, you need to go sit over there by that person because that person's going to train you. And you say, well, who's that person that's going to train me? Oh, that's the person that we fired so we could bring you in here. That would be just a little bit awkward, wouldn't it? To be trained by the by the person that you're replacing. Well, there's what we have here is we have the future king waiting for the sitting king. And the sitting king knew his days were numbered. It's awkward. And, and 
Saul's paranoia, his jealousy just continues to rise. He actually makes several attempts to kill David. Even after the first time, when he tried to kill David and he failed, David stayed in the service of Saul. This is, to put it mildly, an unhealthy relationship. Amen? When someone has tried several times to actually kill you, it might be a sign that there's problems in the relationship. Right? Then Saul begins to send David out on military campaigns. And he did that for one simple reason. Not because he wanted David to be successful and for his popularity to rise. He sent him out on these military campaigns hoping that he would be killed. Hey, let the Philistines kill him. And then I won't get blamed for it. Right? We'll mourn for him. We'll give him honors at his funeral for being the great warrior that he was. And then I can go on with my kingdom and he'll be out of the way. Saul's goal was to get rid of David however he had to do it. But it kind of backfired, didn't it? Because the more he sent David out to fight the Philistines, David you know, didn't play along and get killed. And David kept being successful in battle and his popularity just kept rising. So Saul gets more and more jealous of David along the way. Eventually, Saul gets so jealous and so intent on killing David that David runs for his life. Saul even begins to pursue David in hopes of capturing him and killing him. We're told in 1 Samuel that twice while David is on the run, he has an opportunity while Saul is unaware to kill him. David has two opportunities that he could have killed Saul. One while Saul was sleeping. The man with David says, listen, let me kill him right now. He said, I'll drive the spear through him. I won't even do it a second time. The first one, it'll be done. David said, don't do it. Not because David lacked the courage to kill Saul, but because he knew it was wrong to kill the man God had made to be king. Saul here is swinging radically back and forth for David against David. David one time confronts Saul and says, why do you want to kill me? I could have killed you and I didn't. Why do you want me dead? And Saul begins to weep and say, you're right, you're more righteous than I am. I'm sorry. And then he went back to trying to kill David again. Eventually, though, this unhealthy relationship between these two men comes to an end in the last chapter of 1 Samuel. Eventually, Saul is killed. Not by David, but he dies in battle. Ironically, Saul is killed in battle by the very Philistines that he hoped would kill David. When David hears that Saul has been killed, he mourns. For him. A man even comes forward and lies and says, I killed Saul. He thought for sure that if he came to David and said, I killed the king for you, that he would be rewarded. He was lying. He didn't kill Saul. 
But David, when he heard the man say out of his own mouth that he killed Saul, David had that man killed. He said, you had no right to kill the king. Let's look at David and what he did right in these various stories, what we can pull from this. What did David do right? Number one, he maintains his humility. David is on the rise, and it's clear he's on the rise. And he knows that the kingdom is going to be his one day. He is going to be seated on the throne. I don't know about you, but my big head would have gotten even bigger. Amen? It had been hard to be anointed when you're just a teenager to be the king of Israel. And now you're fighting and having all this success. You can see how that would go to his head and ruin him. I'm going to be the next king. God has blessed me. But David was able to keep a level head. At one point, Saul, the king, offers to David his daughter. Listen, I'll get him to marry my daughter and she won't let him kill me. David said, I am not worthy to marry the king's daughter. He's going to be king himself one day. And he said, I'm not worthy to take the king's daughter. And so he goes out and kills 200 Philistines as the bride price to get the king's daughter so that he would deserve her hand in marriage. David was able to keep humble. Because I think he understood that his success was because God was on him, not because he was so good. Number two, David respected the authority over him. There were two things in David's life that would have made this hard for him. It would have been hard for him to respect the authority because he had already been anointed king. You know what happens when people get power, when they have position thrust upon them? It often goes to their head. David had respect for authority. He was anointed king, yes. I think at some point he would have been tempted to kill Saul and say, let's just get this over with and let me become king now. Get the reigning king out of the way. Become the king yourself. The second reason that this would have been hard for David to maintain his respect for authority is because the king was trying to kill him. And David himself knew he hadn't done anything wrong. Hey, this guy wants me dead, I'm going to kill him. He deserves it for trying to kill me. But David still respected authority enough to not go after the king. We would have been thinking, the sooner he's gone, the sooner I can become king. David was patiently respecting the authority where he found himself. David remembers that God is the one who sets up kings, and God is the one who takes down kings. In David's mind, until God takes Saul out of that position, then I must still respect the king who's still on the throne. Number three, we see what David gets right in this story because he continues to serve faithfully the man who's trying to kill him. Does that seem strange to you? David continues to serve the king as a military commander even though he knows that the king wants him dead. 
David continued to play the harp for Saul, even though Saul had tried to kill him while he was playing. If that had been me, I think I would have said, you know what? I think I'm going to go back to the sheep. At least they don't try to kill me. David continues to fight for Saul to go on dangerous missions to battle the Philistines. David continues to serve even though he is in an unhealthy relationship. Number four, David is willing to leave the timing and the method of Saul's death to God. We see this last week. In David, when he goes up against the giant, he is trusting God completely. He said, giant, I'm going to kill you, but I'm going to kill you by God. God is the one who's going to do this. David doesn't take matters into his own hands and say, you know what? God has made me the next king, so let's get this show on the road. He was willing to wait for God's timing for this transition to take place. And this is huge for us to notice. He trusted God. Number five. David demonstrates through this unhealthy relationship. Amazingly, David demonstrates many of the Christian qualities that Jesus teaches. And yet Jesus hasn't even come and taught them yet. Are you with me? The the whole idea of, of turning the other cheek. David is living that out even before Jesus comes and teaches us to live that way. What's our takeaway though? As we see David and how he relates to Saul in this unhealthy, conflicted relationship, what's our takeaway? What do we learn here? You may be in an unhealthy relationship this morning. I don't know if they're trying to kill you, but it feels like it. Trying to suck the life out of us at times, doesn't it seem? You ever have those conflicted relationships where you fight about not fighting? We're not fighting. Sure seems like we are, right? You might be in a kind of relationship like that now. You know, that, that on again, off again roller coaster. You know what I'm talking about? One day they love you, and it seems like you can do no wrong. And then you come back the next day, and it seems like they hate you, and you can't do anything right. And you're like, what changed? Just yesterday you loved me. And when they see God doing good things in our lives, they get jealous. They begin to resent us. We didn't do anything wrong, but they resent the blessings of God and what's happening in our lives. It'll drive them crazy. Remember this morning, just because someone is against you doesn't mean you've done anything wrong. Yes, it is true that in our conflicted relationships, we often get it because we have it coming. We have done something wrong. But there are other times where we have people who are against us when we didn't do anything wrong. They just don't like us. They don't like what's going on in our lives. And we have to live 
with their jealousy. We have to live with their resentments. We don't have the luxury of saying, well, you know what, I didn't do anything wrong, so we're just going to be okay. No. You've heard the, the, the lie that it takes two to tango? It may take two to tango. I'm not a dancer, so that, that may be true. But you know how many people it takes to have a fight in a relationship? One. And it's a lie to say that it takes two people to have a fight. You can try to turn a fight off, and if the other person doesn't want, they're going to fight. And that's where David is. David is trying desperately to resolve this conflict. And even when Saul says, you're right, I shouldn't be doing this. And then he goes right back to it again. We see that in our lives, in some of our conflicted relationships. Some people will be jealous of us, and there's nothing we can do. But what's our takeaway? As we look at David and how he handled this relationship, what can we learn? Number one, we cannot change the other person. How many times do we get in conflicted relationships and boy, if I can just get that person changed, if I can just get them to stop doing it, everything will be fine. And so we begin to focus obsessively on changing that other person that's got a problem with us, forgetting that that's part of the unhealthy nature of the relationship. It's not our job to change other people. Did you know that? It's God's job to change people. My focus needs to be on me. Your focus needs to be on you. It's not our job to be changing other people. We run around and try to fix them when we're not called to be fixers. It's unhealthy for us to do that. But then we start acting out in the flesh trying to fix these other people and we tend to make things worse. You ever notice that in your life? You're just trying to make things better and you end up making them worse. Sometimes you try to fix the relationship and they get madder because of what you're doing. Instead of it calming things down, it just flares it up again. Maybe worse. We should not take responsibility for fixing other people. Their problems are their problems. Doesn't mean that we won't help them, we won't assist them, but they're primarily responsible for their problems, for their issues, not us. And we act out in unhealthy ways because we take responsibility for the angers and the jealousies of other people. They need to be responsible for that, and we need to realize that it's not our fault. It isn't our responsibility. But we need to recognize our own part in the unhealthy relationship. Just because the other person is crazier than you doesn't mean you're not crazy. Amen? I was in counseling at one time, and the counselor said, do you know anything about codependent relationships? I know all about that. I said, I teach recovery groups. He said, I, I, I told him, I said, I teach that all the time. He looked at me and he said, you might want to go back and read the book. I wanted to smack him right there. We get so caught up in, in the conflicts in our relationships that we don't look at what we're doing wrong. We just look at the other person. We learn from David here, focus on yourself. Also, in those conflicted relationships, don't try to reason with unreasonable people. David does that. He tries to reason with Saul, why are you trying to kill me? And he actually wins David or Saul over and Saul says, I shouldn't be doing this. You're right. I am so sorry. 
And you, you gotta believe that David walked away and said, Oh, I am so glad that over and he dodges another spear. Where'd that come from? Right? Just when you think that you've got the conflicted relationship resolved because you reason, you got through to them. No, you didn't. Don't even try to reason with them because it won't work. Reasoning with an unreasonable person didn't work for David and it won't work for you either. So don't try. We see so much in David's character here though. It's important for us to see that. Saul had this irrational paranoia about David. Yes, God had chosen David to be the new king, but God didn't seem to be in any hurry to get rid of Saul. It was years later before Saul is killed. And instead of enjoying the last period of his kingdom, he's just obsessed with getting rid of David. He doesn't succeed and he ends up dying not living out what God wanted for him as the king himself. Because Saul is so paranoid about David, he finds out that some priests had helped David. And Saul has 85 priests killed. Did you know that? Because they helped David. You know you're in an unhealthy relationship when people start hurting the people around you to get to you. You know what I'm talking about? When people in your life are so intent on hurting you, they don't care who else gets hurt. It's unhealthy when you see that. Number one, don't take responsibility for changing the other person. That's not your responsibility. Number two, two wrongs don't make a right. How often do we say that? You know why? Because we keep forgetting it. It would have been easy for David to fall into a tit-for-tat with Saul. He's trying to kill me, I'm going to try to kill him. He's trying to hurt me, I'm going to try to hurt him. How often do we see that in our life? Somebody's got a problem with us and so they hurt us and before we know it, we've hurt them back. They say something mean to us, so we say something mean back. But you do understand that how we treat or how we mistreat the people who are against us shows more about us than it does about how we treat our friends. How you treat your enemies, how you treat those who have a problem with you shows more about who you are than how you treat your friends. Because how you treat your friends, well, it's easy to treat your friends nice. How do you treat your enemies? And that's where we see David living out Christian principles because he loves his enemies even as his enemy is trying to kill him. Number three. While we're here, we need to say a word about how we treat authority. How we deal with people in authority. You see, sometimes in our unhealthy relationships, that person that we have a problem with is a person who's in authority over us. It may be a supervisor. It may be a boss at work. An authority figure. Maybe a boss. Maybe even a spiritual leader in the church. But there is an order that we are to follow. 
There is a proper structure that we are to live under in our lives. And David lives that out. Saul had problems. He did. But he was still the king. And David recognized even though he was living wrong, he's still the king. And that's not my problem to change him. I need to live under his authority. And so David still faithfully went out and served the king. But how many of us, when the boss starts doing things that are wrong, well, I'm not going to do that. Then. I'm not. We start stop doing what we're supposed to be doing because that person's not doing right. This is a person in authority over you. We begin to ignore the fact that's your boss. Yeah, but he's wrong. Yeah, but he's still your boss. You're still expected to obey the authority that's over you even when the authority is wrong. David has been anointed king. But he said, Saul has been anointed king before me. And he's still the reigning king. And I need to respect that. So David understood that God had placed Saul over him. And as long as Saul was alive and king, he needed to treat him like he was the king. Saul didn't have permission to take matters in his own hand and disregard the authority of the sitting king. And we don't have authority to take matters into our own hand and ignore the authorities that God has placed over us. Even when God tells us that we're supposed to go in a certain direction, we need to honor the people around us who are in authority over us. David did not put the crown on before it was time. Saul was still alive, and David had to respect that. As a side note, people, as we see people in our church who are maturing and saying that God is calling them into ministry, that is great. But keep your eye on them. Because somebody who said God has anointed them and appointed them to become a leader in the church, you watch how they treat authority in the church. Because while they're come up and coming, they still need to be under the authority that God has placed in their life. And if you have been called to wear the mantle of leadership, you need to respect the people who have the mantle of leadership already. Watch men who are preparing for ministry. Watch how they treat elders in the church. And if they will not respect the leadership that's in the church, that tells you all that you need to know about what kind of leader they're going to be. People who don't respect authority when they're under it will not be good users of authority when they have it. Do you hear me? This is important. Because we act like it doesn't matter how we live when we're the little guy. Yes, it does. Because if you will not respect authority when you're under it, you won't be a good user of authority when you get power. Number four, and this is important. Our takeaway from this is to remember that we are Christ's ambassadors even in the unhealthy relationships in our life. Are you with me? God has chosen us to be in those unhealthy relationships so that we can be Christ representatives to those people that we're having a problem with. 
But if we continue to act in unhealthy, unchristian ways, how are we going to influence that person for Christ? How are we going to witness to that person and lead them to a faith relationship with Jesus if we're not living it out ourselves? If we're not witnessing for Christ effectively in how we live in these conflicted relationships, how are we going to say, you know what, you need to surrender to Christ and follow Him? Really? I'm not seeing that in you. I'm not seeing that in how you live. We need to remember that our job is to be the light to those people in those relationships. What's the problem? The problem is when we're in a uh, conflicted relationship, when we're in an unhealthy relationship, you know what my goal is? I want to win. Oh, and by the way, I sure wouldn't mind if you lose. And winning becomes the ultimate goal. Beating the other person. Putting that person in his or her place. No, our ultimate goal is not to win. Our ultimate goal is to win that person to Christ. And we cannot do that if we're living by the world standards. As we go through this series, we continue to look at what it means to have the heart of God. David is commended because he has a heart after God's heart. God says, here's a man after my own heart. He loves the things that I love. He cares about the things that I care about. Let me ask you this morning, do you? We see David's heart in the way that he deals with Saul. It would have been so easy for him to kill Saul and be done with him. And most of the people in that day, if he had killed Saul, they would have said, good for you. You're the future king and Saul wasn't living right. It's good that you got him out of the way. Most of the people would have understood and accepted what he did and approved of it. Honestly, today, most of us would too. If David had just killed Saul and been done with him, we'd say, good for him. I would have too. But how many of us look at David and the way he treated Saul and think, you know what? He did it right. And that's the way I ought to be. David is approved of by God as a man after his own heart because he handles difficult people correctly. Do you want to be that kind of person? You see, sometimes the giant that we're facing in our life is like last week. It's a real giant. It's a physical problem, a big one. But sometimes the giant we have to face is a conflicted relationship, an unhealthy relationship that if we're not careful will destroy us because of the way we're handling it. We need to look at that unhealthy relationship and say, God, I want to handle this in a way that gives you glory. I don't want to win. I want to win that person to Christ. Because when we win that person to Christ, we do win. The conflicted relationship will be resolved, won't it? Instead of us dominating and controlling the other person, we want God to be victorious in that person's life. Amen? How many of you right now find yourself in conflicted relationships, in unhealthy relationships, and you look at you, I mean, I know this thing is unhealthy. Okay? Identifying the problem is the first step. Now, do you want to be used by God to do something 
uh, positive in that unhealthy relationship.